Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about our identity and about how who you are is more important than what you are. I'm delighted to welcome special guest Sam Thiara. Sam teaches at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, Canada, but he's also a storyteller, speaker, author, blogger, entrepreneur, community activator, and mentor coach. You can reach Sam at his website, samthiara.com, and I'll include a link in the description. Sam, thank you so much for joining with me today. Oh, Linda, it's a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to having an engaging conversation with you today. I am too, and I'm interested in hearing more about your story. So in your book, Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself, you talk about traveling to India in search of your ancestral roots with Really, nothing much more than a, a faded photograph. I'm hoping you had a name to go with that photograph. And um, <laughs> would you mind giving us a brief overview of, of what that was like and what you discovered? Sure. And the whole, it, it all started because uh, I was born in England, raised in Canada. My parents are from Fiji, and my grandfathers came from India. So we are quite separated from the, our, our ancestral roots. And nobody in my family really went on a journey to actually say, okay, where is this village? And I decided, uh, just again, because I, I love a challenge to say, okay, let me figure out where we are from an ancestral standpoint. <clears throat> we know the country, but really not the exact place. And the more I started searching and looking, the more difficult it was, because now all of a sudden I'm hearing from people saying, well, you know, why are you even searching? You may not have a good reception. You're not really Indian. But that also really resonated with me because, you know, people would often say, you know, look at me and they say, well, what part of India are you from? And I'm like, born in England, raised in Canada. And they're like, no, 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 your parents, what part of India? Well, I said, my parents are from Fiji Islands near Australia. And they're like, are you Indian? Well, my, uh, my grandfather's come from India. So I decided to go on this journey. And a couple of days before I left, and I had sparse information, my cousin in California, his father had gone to the village, but that was years and years and years ago, but nobody really captured that information. So he sent me this photograph of the people that are from our village. That's all I had to go by, really. And some sparse information of approximately the district. And so as a result, uh, what we found is, we didn't really know where this village was. So I went on this journey and it was an arduous, difficult journey because I was not only finding my village, I was also trying to find myself, my, my Indian roots. So when I was going along in this journey, and that's why the book is lost and found, seeking the past, finding myself, is the, the journey involved trying to find my ancestral roots and without giving away the process I went through by some randomness and some, I don't know, intervention of some sort, I was able to actually find my grandfather's house. Um, and it was quite a journey because it, it, there were setbacks along the way, but it was also about realizing my own identity as, you know, I went to India seeking, you know, my Indian roots. My realization was I was always Indian, but it took me going there to find it. Wow. That's kind of beautiful. The idea of looking back and trying to figure out your roots and, and even some confusion of, of who I am and, and does it matter? But you found some value and some 
identity, some completion, I guess, in, in making that journey. So I'm glad you went. And I'm glad you were able to learn the things that you did. Um, I was also thinking about how you, uh, you, you teach at university. And um, you also, your personal experience of going from uh, being a college graduate to trying to get into the professional world didn't really go the way that you thought it would go. And now you help use that experience to help graduates to make that transformation from from high school to college and from college to the real world. Would you mind sharing a little about that? Yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with this. And years ago when I was in university, uh, you know, you go through this process of going through school and then this understanding that when you graduate, you know, you'll get a job. Uh, you sort of fall into this corporate piece. And I remember sitting at graduation and as I walked across the stage, shaking the hands of the dignitaries, and as I walked off the stage, it felt like a virtual door slammed behind me and there was no handle because everything familiar to me was behind that door. And I mean, I graduated with a degree in business and political science and a sense and idea of, well, who's lucky to get me? Because that's a really great combination. Exactly. And as I then sat down, I said, okay, well, then I started doing what you would normally do is start applying for jobs. And back then, the internet was not prevalent. So you had to handwrite or type your letter, hand deliver it or mail it. And I remember I did about nine, 10 letters, sent it off to companies. And about two weeks later, a letter arrived from one of the companies. And they basically said, sorry, we don't have a job. I was like, okay, but that's okay. I have eight more, nine more letters out there. But I'm going to send three more out to different companies. And the more letters I sent out, the more letters came back. And the idea was when I read this, the letters, they were saying, we don't have a job for you. We're not sure what you're looking for. Good luck in your search. And I don't know why I did it, but I kept all my rejection letters. Wow. That's 86 rejections in a short time of people who said, you don't know what you're looking for, but hey, good luck. And my first job when I graduated university, I finally did get a job. And I always like to, when I ask my students, so what job do you think I got? Business and political science, and it's my first job. And they say, government work. I said, absolutely, you're right. My first job was mopping floors and emptying rubbish bins in a hospital as a janitor, which was through the government. Wow. And, But here's the thing. Instead of looking at it as poor me, or I have a degree in my wall, and people telling me you wasted your time, I learned three valuable life lessons from doing the janitorial work. The first lesson and realization was my father said, I don't care what you do. You make sure you do the best job possible. So that's where there was no floor cleaner than at the end of my shift. And I, there was no rubbish bin left full. I put my heart and soul into that job. The second valuable lesson, there were times I would get on the elevator with nurses, doctors, and administrators. And it wasn't all the time, but there were times where you were just ignored because you are on a standard down here, we're up higher level. And we don't have much in common. And it goes back to my uh, saying, everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. It made me realize they didn't want to know my story, but everybody has a story. And this is why uh, the lesson I learned from this is I talk to everyone. Everybody has something to share. And I will never ignore anybody. The third valuable lesson I learned from being a janitor is in anything that we do, you can either look at it from the lens of, well, I'm a janitor and it's this, 
I went in saying, can I learn something from this? And what I learned is from that is actually lessons in that no matter what we do in life, if we sit and reflect on it, we will always walk away with something that actually helps us. And those three valuable lessons, years and years later, are still foundational in my life. And I share that. Now, I also share with my students or anybody I mentor and coach, those rejections, I'm not going to lie, they felt like a nail in my coffin of self-confidence. But I look on the, the letters now, if one of those letters would have materialized, I would not be with you here today. My life would have gone in a different trajectory. I actually embrace those letters because it's given me the strength to move in a direction that is more authentic and, and real for me. And the second thing that was really important to understand is many of those companies no longer exist, but I still do. I outlasted these companies. Wow. And that's, and that's the resilience that we have to share with these people. And these have helped me with stories and, and experiences because I was open to it, where I now mentor and coach three to eight people a week. And it's been about 5,000 conversations about this idea of we're always so focused on what are you going to do? But really what we need to focus on is who are you? Because by understanding who you are, you build this foundation to move forward, forward on what you are going to do. Oh, I'm so glad you went there because I am so excited to hear you expound on that more, on the who you are versus the what you are. You know, when we try to introduce ourselves or describe ourselves, we really can't do it on our own except for a name. We always give it by either a profession or a relationship. And, um, and so to say who, who we are is actually more challenging than you'd realize. I mean, people don't think about it, but when you do think about it, it's, it's actually kind of hard. Oh, totally. I mean, I mean, in the class that I teach, I've got 140 students. And uh, one of the toughest exercises I give them is write a personal statement as if you are meeting me for the first time. How are you going to describe yourself? And I don't want it to be a running resume of I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Tell me who you are. And then throughout the semester, I make them rewrite it again in week 11 because now they have more exposure and experience and ideas and thoughts. So it's, it's a journey and a pathway because, again, the whole idea is we're always so f- focused on the what we want to do, and I want to start shifting them to the who. And when we look at it, we are made up in, uh, of these components. And oftentimes, even when I've interviewed people and I say, well, tell me about yourself or tell me who you are, I always get the, well, either they're going to give me a running resume or they look up to the ceiling and they use the words, I'm a perfectionist, I'm a team player, I'm great at communication, I work with technology. Yeah, okay, but so does everyone else. If somebody asks me, Sam, tell me about who you are, or something to that extent, I always say there are five things that guide and direct me in life. Servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Those five components provide me the opportunity to support and help people and organizations in the journey that they are on. It gives them the strength because I want to help people get their foundation so that they can go on to succeed and do rightfully what they should be doing. Now, that's a much more compelling statement than, well, I've worked in in, a, in university, I do this, I do this, and, and whatnot. So I think it's about creating that compelling piece of who you are. Right. And finding the right vocabulary words to kind of capture 
that essence of who you are, which is challenging because we have a tendency to follow the uh, the pathway that others have said, like it's a running resume. Well, it's there's a lot of noise around. What I try to do is activate the voice within to be louder than the noise around. And the exercise that I give people to do is I call it the five core elements. And this is not only, I came up with it only because this is what I did. But now it's something I've given to so many people. I always say, what are the five things that make up your foundation? Think of it this way. If you were to build a house, you need a solid foundation. To build a life, you need a solid foundation. So what are the five things that you are not willing to compromise in life and career? Not career, but life and career. So I've shared my five. And the realization is, now, normally the progression is the what. Like, in other words, you graduate university, you go and apply for jobs, and you get a job. And then you are there for a period of time. Then you either within the company get another job or you progress to a different company. But it's just a progression of the what. There's no sense of direction. So what happens is if you were to do the five core elements and build this foundation, you now have an opportunity to compare any opportunity against those five critical pieces that you're not willing to compromise. So for me, for example, writing. Seven years ago, I wasn't even a writer. When writing started emerging after my first TEDx speech I did, I suddenly realized Okay, does it hit those five pieces? And it does. And I was like, okay, I have to do this. And it just made total sense for me. But when I share this with people, I always say, you're going to change these throughout your life. You're not having to struggle to find the right five words that you're going to hold on to for the rest of your life. As you go through experiences, they're going to change. So don't be afraid to pick these words. But the important part is to always ask yourself why. So for example, uh, if I was to say story sharing is one of my five core elements, okay, why is that important to you? And I'd respond back, because I have stories to share. Why is sharing stories so important? Well, by sharing stories, I'm able to help people in their journey. Okay, why do you want to help people in their journey? And you go down this pathway of, of inquiry, and it reinforces or provides you those, those details. Now, how people might be able to come up with those five core elements is also looking at and reflecting on your past journey. What courses have you done? What did you like and did not like about those courses? The jobs you're doing, what do you like or dislike? What do you do in your social time? What do you like and dislike? But always asking why. And that will start shaping those five critical things that you are not willing to compromise. And next thing you know, when you have it, any opportunities that emerge, you now balance it. But now you can also articulate those five things as who you are. It makes up your foundation. That's beautiful. And and you say this then becomes, gives us maybe the confidence so that we yep. can uh, rise above that, that social pressure to just be like everybody else and to repeat the things that everybody else or to... Um... Well, and I think to your point on that is it, it, you may be in a position... And, you, you know, you're doing your job. But once you clarify those five core elements, maybe it's hitting two or three out of five. Okay, then what's missing? Can I incorporate it in this job or should I be looking at something else? So this is where it provides you a bit more of that clarity piece. Even if you're in a position right now and you haven't done the five core elements, but you now do it. Now it gives you a chance to expose, okay, but how many am I hitting here? And 
does it make sense? And how do I move forward on this? Excellent. And I don't think that we all attain all of our, our the things that we need from our employment. I think we also yep. have our family and our community and our service yep. and our faith. That there are other, sometimes people are frustrated with their work because they feel like, you know, I'm not, it's not meaningful. It's just a job. But, but even in just the job, if it's providing for your family and doing good things, that, that there is some meaning for it. Although I do, if at all possible, man, it's sure nice if that time at work is spent doing something that is fulfilling and satisfying. Yeah. Well, and that's where if you do hit five out of five, you don't have a job or career, you hit fulfillment. And mm -hmm. I, I asked my students, I said, or anybody I mentor and coach, I say, if money was no object, what would you be doing right now? And it's interesting because, you know, they say, well, I'd rather be doing this or I'd rather be doing that. And I mean, if if money was no object, what would I be doing? Exactly what I'm doing right now. Like it's fulfillment. And, you know, it, it doesn't feel like work. Uh, I, I have so much enjoyment. Um, and, you know, it's, I'm in a really good place. But I think that for me, my purpose is to help other people get to their fulfillment and their purpose. I think um, oftentimes we talk about the word passion and I even talked about this in my lecture yesterday about uh, passion. And I said, passion is an igniter. We use the word passion, find your passion and you will open up avenues and doors, but passion is only an igniter. You cannot sustain passion, but really what it should guide to is your purpose. And you need to spend the time, but how do you find your purpose? And that's where the five core elements, the personal statement, all of these things help you get to your purpose. But the passion should guide you and direct you to that purpose. I like that. That's beautiful. Okay, so purpose over passion. I like that. And you also talk about leadership in kind of a different way than other people do. Would you explain your position on leadership? Sure. My background is in leadership, but it doesn't make me a leader. And there are times where I'm mentoring and coaching people and they're like, Sam, okay, so I came to you because I want to be a leader. And I'm like, okay, so why'd you come to me? And they're like, well, you're a leader. And I said, okay, well, what are some of the words that, well, what would you, why, what makes me a leader? And they use these beautiful words. And I said, you know what? None of those things make me a leader. Those beautiful words, but none of them make me a leader. There's only one thing and that's the followers. I don't determine if I'm a leader you determine if I'm worthy of that title. But people see leadership as a position or uh, a place to be. Leadership is a lifestyle. And there may be people that don't resonate with your uh, the personality or who you are. So, for example, even in my class yesterday, I did a poll. How are things going? And three out of 140 students said, yeah, this isn't what I was really expecting. Okay, so that's three people that aren't really connecting with the class or my messaging. And I said, okay, you know what? This is anonymous, but why don't you reach out to me? I'm not punitive. I want to learn about what is it that I can do better. But I try to help people understand that leadership is a lifestyle. And you don't determine if you're a leader. The people around you determine if you're worthy of that title or not. So just be the best version of yourself. And the people who feel that you are worthy of that title are gravitating towards you. And the ones who don't, they're going to be away. And it, you can't force people to follow you. No, you can't. Uh -huh. You can't. So what advice would you give to these people who are coming to you to be mentored on how to be a leader? What would you say? Oh, just uh, what you have to do is 
instead of focusing on yourself, focus around the people, the people around you, support them. And if that is your process, they're going to deem you as a leader, but don't look at it through your eyes that you're a leader or that you want to strive to that thing called leadership. Uh, be there to support guide and help if that's what matters. Um, some of it could be direct and tell, but that's if your style, but, and some people resonate, but focus on the people around you, not on yourself, that you're going to go to this place called leadership. Um, they're going to carry you to that position based on who you are. That's kind of along the lines of servant leadership, that yep. sort of, um, Roll up your sleeves and just do things that need to be done. And uh, that's why one of the five things I have is servant leadership. That is the kind of leader I would like to follow. So that's that's beautiful. It's by invitation and not by force. And that makes all the difference. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay. So you say something about connectedness and a puzzle analogy. Do you want to share that right. one? Sure. I think that... Uh, I So... Again, through my first TEDx speech, it was on discovering the extraordinary and the ordinary. And really what we do is we live in a world that's very ordinary, but embedded in the ordinary are these tremendously extraordinary experiences. But we are in autopilot and we often miss it. And I'm going to share you an example of how different this is. This is a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And this is what people feel like. They feel like that single piece, they're not sure where they fit in or how they fit in. And it's ordinary. But... I say it in a way that suddenly I can physically see a transformation in the people's face. Because I say, instead of focusing on a single piece, focus on my puzzle. Because if I give you a piece of my puzzle, do you realize my puzzle will be permanently incomplete without you? Do you realize how important you are to me? And I see the transformation in the face because now you've made it extraordinary. I've given about 5,000 pieces in the world to date. And I hear back from people saying, you gave me a puzzle piece seven years ago. Do you know it's still taped to my mirror and every morning I wake up, it reminds me someone told me I mattered. It's in little curio boxes at, uh, and people tell me it's in a special place. Uh, when I move, it comes with me. When they travel, uh, they have it in their backpack, in their wallets. I even have people who have it in their wallets and they see me at an event and they come running up saying, Sam, I still have your puzzle piece. And then the last one is the frantic nature. Somebody will come to me saying, Sam, I lost your puzzle piece. I feel disconnected. Could you please give me another piece? And I promise to guard this one better. So it's just a simple way to remind people how important they are. Because I think that we forget. We forget the through life that uh, even a simple gesture as something as a puzzle piece, which is ordinary, can be transformed into extraordinary just by that simple action. It's how we word and phrase and purpose we put behind things. That's beautiful. So the idea that it is incomplete without me, that resonates with me as well. Because I know how frustrating it is when you're trying to put a puzzle together and there's a piece missing and you just want to throw the whole thing away because it uh -huh. is no good. It's and incomplete. So, yeah, to think that I am part of the completion, I, that's, that's really something. Thank you, Sam. That's amazing. Okay, so that was a beautiful uh, expression of storytelling and an explanation. Do you want to give us some more? Because that's kind of your <laughs> one of your gifts anyway. You have several. Well, so I did a, a, a TEDx speech on storytelling, and, I, and that was discovered the extraordinary and the ordinary. And people said, you tell stories, but how can I tell stories? And I had to sit down and, and 
unravel what that means. And I came up with the term carpe. So carpe diem is seize the day, but carpe is how I build stories. So C stands for curiosity. So for example, with the puzzle analogy, curiosity was stopping me when I saw a puzzle piece. A stands for appreciation. In other words, now you start appreciating it for more than what it is. So I appreciated the puzzle piece for more than what it is. And R stands for reflection. Reflection is where you think deeper about it and add purpose and meaning to it. So that's the reflection bit to say, this might involve something more deeper. And what does it mean? Connectedness, relationships. P stands for perspectives. We all have different perspectives. And it's about honing in on what your perspectives are and applying it to, let's say, the puzzle piece. What it means to me is connectedness. It might mean something else to someone else. E is experience. And that's the one that captures it all. And if you don't capture your story and make it into an experience, and this is what I do all the time for all the stories I have, is they become experiences. If you don't do it, your story dies an untimely death. And that's where it's about uh, curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective, and experience. Those five things blend together so then you can even make you know, extraordinary out of the ordinary. And it, I mean, it happens to me all the time. In my first TEDx speech, I talked about a doorstop being, you know, it's a doorstop and it's ordinary, but I made it extraordinary to say, but it's reflective of the people around me who have helped me in career. They've held the door open for me, much like a, what a doorstop would do. So I, that's how you discover that extraordinary out of ordinary. By looking for it and, uh -huh. and looking for that perspective. Hey, that's beautiful. Thank you. You've given me so many things to think about, and I'm so grateful that you shared these. Is there anything else particularly that you want to share today? Or? I just uh, like to uh, add that, you know, everybody is on a journey. Everybody has stories to share. And it goes back to that piece. There's two quotes that I live by. The first one is, obstacles are the necessary bricks on a road to success. In other words, we're going to encounter challenges and difficulties. I did with my rejection letters or when I was writing my book and the rejections for the, um, from agents. So we're going to be receiving rejections. Embrace the obstacles because they make you stronger. Don't fear them. And then the second one is everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. It doesn't mean you have to do dangerous and epic things, but it's just a reminder that you are a living story. And your story is an autobiography. How are you capturing it? And how are you holding on to it? And in the book that I wrote, the first book on storytelling, I said, what's the last story you read? What's the last story you told? But what's the last story that you lived? And that last one about what is the last story you lived is a reminder that we are all living stories. Wow. That's finding something extraordinary in the ordinary. What a beautiful thought. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining with me today. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Oscar Wilde. He said, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Today, I invite you to discover who you are and to be your authentic self. See you next time on Linda's Corner.